Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. There was a man and his wife, and they finally decided to retire. So they left the busy city, and they decided to come to a nice, quiet town where they could have peace. And so the husband and wife moved into their house, and it was great. No problem. Unfortunately, September came along, and they realized that they lived less than a block from the junior high school. So every day for about the first week, this little pack of boys would be marching home from uh, their junior high, and they found the steel trash cans off in the side of this man's yard, and they would sit out there, and they would bang on the on their steel trash cans, and it was driving the man and his wife nuts. So finally, he came up with an idea, and he walked out there one day when those boys were out there banging, and he said, I'll tell you what, boys, I'm going to give each one of you a dollar this week for you to come and bang on my trash cans after after the, the school day, so come see me on Friday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday comes, and sure enough, the man comes out there, and he's handing out dollar bills. The next week, what did he have? More boys came, and now he had a whole bunch of kids. And he said, got to the next Friday, and he said, boys, you know, I I just don't have enough money this week. Is it okay if I give you all 50 cents? So they said, sure, no problem, mister. So he hands them all their two bits, and they go merrily along. Sure enough, the next week, there's a bazillion. There's just a bunch of kids out there. And he says, listen, boys, you know, the recession is hitting pretty hard. And all I can give you is a dime for banging on my cans this week. What? You got to be kidding. You're only going to pay us a dime to bang bang on your cans. We're out of (laughs) here. And the man had peace. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, we need your peace. We need you to meet us here. We need your your word to penetrate our hearts so that we can become the men and the women that you have created us to be. Open our hearts now, Lord. Remove from us the distractions. Remove from us our sins so that we can hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in contrast to a bunch of junior high boys... The peace found in the book that Jesus wrote is much more than a cessation of noise or a calming of hostilities. Shalom, peace in God's word is a wholeness. It's a healthiness. It's a wellness that is pervasive throughout a person's being and is totally not related to the circumstances, even with boys drumming on your trash cans. And Jesus warned us that this world is not a world of peace. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have this peace, this shalom. He actually said Irene, right, Bill? And uh, 
But then he said, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Be of courage. Know something vital. I have overcome the world. The threat of nuclear warfare in Iran and Israel and throughout the Middle East and around the world robs us of our peace. The threat of rising crime in Santa Maria robs us of our peace. The threat of political or economic uncertainty robs us of our peace. The threat of waiting in lines that are far too long to get pictures taken at your church directory robs us of our peace. But worse than any of those, it's the very real threat of my own sinful desires that robs me of peace. Amen? Take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. Knowing that threats to peace was going to be a continuous experience for all peoples, but especially Christians in this world, that these threats that are both real and imagined would continue to plague us for as long as Jesus leaves us, Paul began almost all of his letters with a greeting very similar to the one that we read months ago when we began Ephesians. In Ephesians 1-2 where Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was very concerned that we knew we would have this kind of peace. Because what you and I need in this world is grace. We need undeserved favor from God so that, among other things, we could have this peace in our minds and in our hearts. Because there is much frustration and much pain and noise in the world around us. And as Paul ends his letter to the Ephesians that we are going to do tonight, this is exactly what he prays for us. Let's read starting in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 21. Paul writes, So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers with love and faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Paul here has a very short conclusion, a total of four verses to his magnificent letter that we've been spending months reading. And he has divides it into two kind of endings. The first one is verse 21 and 22. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Evidently, Tychicus was one who followed Paul. He's one of Paul's entourage. And he was a man of obvious good character, and that is why Paul entrusted him with this letter to the church that he loved. 
And he was deservedly well-trusted because Paul describes him as a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. When I was in 10th grade in high school, I ran cross-country. And the coach that we had was very successful in a period of 15 or so years, one state, 10 or 11 times. But his style of coaching did not suit mine very well. Uh, My... Love language, if you've ever done uh, read that book, is words of affirmation. And words of affirmation was a foreign language to Coach Kepin. And that was something that I rebelled against. And that was my own sin, but it influenced my decision not to continue in that high school. For me to hear someone that I love and respect to say something along the lines of what Paul did him uh, when he said, this is a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. That that to me is so encouraging. That would be absolute wonderful. And I think that's exactly why Jesus tells us he will say to those who have trusted his promises, well done, my good and faithful servants. That, that to me is one of my absolute greatest longings and most glorious hopes. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And Paul sent Tychicus in order to do two things that we said. The first was just to give news. Now, fortunately, back then, there was no such thing as Pravda, I mean MSNBC, Okay, a couple of you are awake. Come on. I remember the Cold War. I know you guys do. (laughs) Secondly, Tychicus' mission was to encourage their hearts, to give these words of affirmation, namely the document that we know of as the letter to the Ephesians. And this encouraging of the hearts has been passed on. It's, It's what ministers do. In fact, one... Uh, it's been often said by better men than me that a minister's job is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And to that, I want to add my own little spin. If you aren't encouraged by the Christian merit message, if you don't go to God's word and get encouragement from it, if you aren't encouraged by the Christian marriage me- message, you are doing something wrong. Now, I'm serious about that. Number one, you are sinning and you need to repent so that you can be encouraged. Or number two, you aren't listening to the good news, to the Christian message. Therefore, you are sinning and you need to repent so that you can be encouraged. If you don't get that understanding that when you go to God's word, that he is actually with you. Repent. Ask him, Jesus, what distractions am I allowing in my, in my life? What sins am I not confessing? Now, I'm not saying that every single time you read the word of God, you're just going to be dancing on cloud nine. You don't want to see that again, do you? But it is true that when you are in God's word 
and you don't have sin blocking your way, you will be encouraged. So if a servant's job, a servant of Jesus' job is to afflict the comfortable so that they see where they, maybe perhaps we, need to take our next step with Jesus, then that servant of the Lord is encouraging. When someone comes to you and points out an area that you need to walk more closely with Jesus, that person is doing you a powerful favor. Better is the slap of one who loves us than the kiss of an enemy. Now Paul describes his understanding of what this servant of Jesus' job is to do when he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 124. He says, Not that we lord our authority over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for or because you stand firm in your faith. Now, note that Paul did not believe he had authority over the Corinthians for the purpose of simply commanding them to do whatever he wanted. Instead, the goal for Paul in his authority was to enable them to have joy. He wanted them to be encouraged. And this, the cause for this joy is what he says at the end here, For or because you stand firm in your faith. As you are standing firm in your faith, you will have joy. Do you see that connection? And he is saying then, in a sense, I I have authority over you as an apostle or as a one who stands over you in authority to enable you, equip you, exhort you to stand firm in your faith because I want you to have joy in the Lord. And as you and I falter, we stumble in the same way that we've been stumbling for years because that same flavor of sin continues to tempt us. When we do, we will have less joy. In fact, it may rob us completely of our joy. And it's only when we go back, when we're rehearsing the gospel or we're preaching the good news to ourselves and we say, the Lord has forgiven me of this. Then we go back to the Lord. We go back to the offended father and our joy is restored. In fact, I would say that one of the best blessings that God gives to those who are already his people is that God won't allow you and I to enjoy sin. He won't let us keep wallowing in the muck and mire. He will cause us to come out to him. And another great blessing, an enormous blessing that God gives to those who love him is that when we are covered with the filth of our sin, he still receives us. Amen? And because he receives us, because we know we have that acceptance, we can have joy. Now, there is another aspect at work here. Part of the encouraging of the Ephesians' hearts is that the news that Tychicus was to bring. Undoubtedly, I'm not denying that. But whether it is good news of how Paul and his associates are doing, or whether it is the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul longs for them to have this joyful experience. He wants to know as well from them 
when Tychicus comes back to Paul, that they are doing well. They are standing firm in their faith because then he will have that same joy as his fellow servant of Christ John when he wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I'll tell you what. Let's make a deal, you and me. You walk in the truth and I'll walk in the truth. We'll keep on hanging out with each other and letting each other know how God is working in us and helping us. You'll have great joy. I'll have great joy. And we'll have a great big party together. Amen? Okay. That was a good amen. I like that. You'll be happier now. I'll be happier now. And we will rejoice forever with each other in heaven. So, now that we're all encouraged, right? We want to get to the actual conclusion of Paul's letter. And this is just chock full of great greatness right here. Paul says in verse 23, Peace be to the brothers and sisters. Don't exclude yourselves, ladies. You are very much included in this. And love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love uncorruptible. Now I want you to notice in these two verses, peace be to the brothers in verse 23, and grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. They're parallel. Paul is making a point. They're two different verses, but he's making a point. The brothers And sisters are those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, the love incorruptible. And those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with the love incorruptible are the brothers and sisters that he's talking about in chapter or verse 23. He's repeating this because he wants to draw this idea and flesh it out a little bit more. This grace and peace that is so important that he repeats it time and time and time again throughout all of his letters. And we've already spoken about the peace that you and I can have as Christians, but I want to note what goes along with that peace. And namely, in this particular spot, he's combining with that peace this understand, this idea of love with faith. Now, you've heard me say many times that the better you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you will love him. The better you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you will trust him. And this idea of love and faith being combined is throughout the scriptures. And I'll just give you one fun example of that, and that's found in Psalm 100, where the psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good. Five commands. Bang, 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 bang. Right here. Know that the Lord, he is God. Know God. Make sure that in your living that you know him and his impact in your life. And then he says, it is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This man obviously knew God. And then he continues with the commands. He says, enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now watch this. Verse 5. I love, this is the conclusion of the psalm. He says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures 
forever. There will never be an end to God's steadfast love and his faithfulness to all generations. Obviously, the person who wrote Psalm 100 knew his God well. And because he knew his God well, he loved him. And he put his trust in him. And that was why he was willing to stand up and sing God's steadfast love will not end. The psalmist continued rehearsing all that the Lord had done for him. And he could not help singing about his love for the Lord. And this idea of the better you know God, the more you will love him and trust him is exemplified in every Bible story where you see someone giving a name to God. And I love this. Rich people, poor people, men, women, from all different walks of life have these experiences with God and they turn around and they give God a new name. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shelter. The Lord provides. One homework that I've given you guys many times, I don't know how many of you have done it, I want you to come and tell me if you've done this homework, is go through, rehearse what God has done in your life, and think about these key places in your life where the Lord had to show up. And give Him a name. Give Him one, give Him two, give Him three. I want to hear them. I want you to tell me them. I want you to notice The song that Bud uh, played for us, Jesus, Name Above All Names. I hope some of you were like me, singing that song in your head. No way I'm going to sing it right now. Sing it in your head and rehearse. Remember the names of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Give the Lord names and because then you're knowing him better and you're rehearsing it. And because you're rehearsing it, you're loving him and you're trusting him more. So it's no surprise to me at all that in this particular verse, Paul links these two ideas and he tells us that they are coming from the Father accompanied by peace. But there is a very interesting question that I haven't addressed so far. I don't know if I've ever addressed this with you. How is it that love and faith are related? How do they connect in God's economy? Well, the first most obvious verse that some of you might think of is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where he says, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that was for me even, the first verse that popped into my mind when I started thinking about this. Certainly, these are the cardinal virtues of the Christian way of living, but it doesn't tell us how they're related. Now, in this very book, in Ephesians, Paul puts these two ideas together in chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Now here he's describing and he's unpacking it a bit. This trust that you have in the Lord Jesus because that's what it needs to be and this love that you have for the people around you because if you don't have that love for people around you it's going to be very hard to say that you have faith in Jesus. But again, this doesn't say how they're related. And that gives us, that brings us to the verse that I want us to land on, and that's Galatians 5, 6. 
where Paul Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither being born under the Jewish law or not under the Jewish law. It's irrespective of that. It doesn't count for anything. But what counts? What is important in God's economy for how you and I are going to live for him. If he were going to sum, boil it down, sum it all up, he would say, faith working through love. Faith being expressed, being described to the world around you by working through love. This is how they are related. You and I cannot convince anybody of our faith in the Lord Jesus if we are not loving those around us. Therefore, we have to be given them by God. And therefore, Paul says, peace to the brothers with love and faith. That is how these are connected. Peace be to the brothers with love and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, I want to remind us that this peace and grace are the two main ideas that we find in these verses. And we said that because, remember, they're parallel to each other. Peace to the brothers, grace to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with the undying love. And that is exactly what he says in these two. But it almost appears backwards. It almost appears that Paul lists grace after he prays for peace. And I was, I was thinking about that because in my mind, how it was circling around is that grace needs to come before peace comes. Grace needs to be there or else we have no peace. But I think that the reason why Paul did this and he put grace in verse 24 is because he wants to leave grace in the most important position. He wants it to be stressed. He wants you to walk away having grace ringing in your ears. This is because the grace that God is pouring, it is grace that God is pouring peace into our hearts. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, which because of our sinful desires, we most definitely do not deserve. We need to have grace. And that, my friends is what the book of Ephesians is all about. As you go home, hopefully, and read, reread Ephesians so that you have the whole thing ringing in your ears, what you will find is that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. God's power manifested in all of creation is at work in us and through us. You'll find out that God saves us quite apart from our good works, but he saves us through a trust in our hearts for him and his promises that he put there. You'll find out if you read Ephesians that God makes every believer one, no matter his race, color, nationality, gender, or any other outward measurement of people. You'll find out as you read Ephesians that God also reveals to us his great plan hidden from everyone who came before Paul wrote this letter. You'll find out that God blesses us with powerful spiritual strength and he does it through prayer. 
You'll find out if you read Ephesians that God equips us as his body to do the works of service. You'll find that God gives us both instruction in and power for living a new life. And then you'll find immediately after that that God gives us the spirit so that we can put off the old life that we used to be enslaved to. You'll find as you read Ephesians that God gives us direction and strength for living together in our families and at work. You'll find as you read Ephesians that God equips us with promises so that you and I can fight the spiritual battles within our own hearts and then in the communities around us. You will find as you read Ephesians that God gives you grace. And this grace is completely undeserved. All of this is pure, unadulterated grace. And as you walk away from reading the good news that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you can live in the grace of knowing that God is for you and He is not against you. Praise Jesus. Finally, when we get here to the very end of Ephesians, we find that grace and peace go together like a hand in a glove. As you consider all the promises of God for you in Christ that you are given as a free and undeserved gift, you can live in peace. My friends, you and I can trust the promises of God and we shall never, never be disappointed. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we desperately need your grace. We need your grace because we live in a world that is the opposite of peace. We need your grace because we are men and women who fail every single day. God, give us that grace so that we might give you glory. And bless us, Jesus, so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 